Hello, Star Wars fans and move milkers everywhere. Welcome to episode number 353. The plus points this is Jason. And this is Gabe. We're talking about The Mandalorian, chapter 23. The spies and Star Wars is not letting us rest at all because it's not like. You know, it's not like there wasn't anything Star Wars going on just last weekend or anything. Nothing big, no news. Just the usual, the usual stuff. We're still recovering from celebration at home. We're catching up on sleep. It, it was it was funny, like getting up at five a.m. every day for four days for the celebration from home madness, and then. What happened like one day where you can kind of sleep a little, just a little bit later and then getting up at 5 a.m. again for Mando. Yeah, it pretty much was like, man, yeah, Mando day every day. So, but it was nice. Yeah, they at least gave us that one day. We got Tuesday to rest. And then now we get a few more days, one more week, and then the season's, the season's over. And then we'll just be waking up at 5 a.m. because we're sad because there's no Mando to watch. Oh, man, the spies. The spies. Yeah, this whole season has just been crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. <laughs> this episode is like Mando 101. It has it all. It's funny. It's weird. It's got action. It's got monsters. It's got crazy callbacks that will make you go crazy thinking about Clone Wars and Rebels and stuff. It's got a bunch of old, dirty Mandalorians riding around on a sp- the wooden space boat with rope. Definitely keeping the, the pirate theme going. Well, the, the funny thing to me is, you know, we were thinking with the last two episodes feeling very Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones that this would maybe be the Revenge of the Sith episode. But I kind of feel like, if anything, this is the back to being like everything's about Return of the Jedi because this is really like season one again, but season one again times ten, kind of how Return of the Jedi is like a new hope but ramped up to the max. You know, Gideon's back, you know, the Mandalorians are back to save the day, but now there's, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of them and they have a whole fleet. Yeah, it's like Return of the Mandalorian this week. R-O-T-J-M. This episode, too, echoes season one, chapter seven, The Reckoning, where it's the first time that that Ludwig, the orchestra version of the Mando theme has played. And... The last shot with Big Vizsla laying there, very similar to the last shot of that episode with Queel, and in that episode with Grogu being taken by the Biker Scouts, and in this episode with Mando being taken by the whatever the heck they are, the Mandalorian Stormtrooper things. We're kind of, we went into the season finale of season one, kind of being like, we don't know what to expect we don't know quill is dead what is going on and now yeah going into the season three finale we don't know what the heck is around the corner and i don't know i mean a lot of people were saying with this episode like oh finally mandalorian got good there's been a lot of criticism with mandalorian season three and i'm here to say i'm not having it i've been having a great time with this series this series is mando plays by its own rules like i said this episode mando 101 funny weird action giant monsters monsters coming out of the ground for no reason just another mon- like every episode has to have a giant monster this extremely silly stuff just mando is what it is and it's super duper star wars 
yeah, this the this episode has all the Mando magic all crammed into 50 minutes, which f- fly by and like you close your eyes and you open them and, and you're at the end of the episode already because it's just nonstop action and fun and so many Mandalorians, so many ships taking off and landing. Did you notice it was like all season it was like every episode has to have Bo's Mandalorian ship landing or taking off in a cool way. And this one has literally like the whole fleet landing at once and taking off at the same time. And then still they throw the, uh, I think when they're on Mandalore, her ship lands and like when the wings fold up, Big Viz is like standing looking cool in front of it. So much good stuff. Yeah, there's one shot where it's literally like four Bo-Katan ships all kind of landing at the yeah. same time. Because yeah. now we're in the like final two episodes. Yeah. Like we're going to go all out here. Now, yeah. So. Yeah, we heard you like watching her ship land. So here's here's all. It's like the uh, the YouTube video with all the Star Wars movies playing on top of each other at once. It's like the Mando ship landing equivalent of that. Yeah, I was having a great time with this episode. This episode is bonkers. It's all over the place. I love one of my favorite moments, and it, it's it's so Mandalorian when at the end. When Super Gideon comes down with his jetpack and his helmet, which we're going to be talking about a lot later, and the music is bum 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 bum, it's so like Flash Gordony, and I love the way this season has been kind of leading to these last two episodes with all the stuff with Pershing and the New Republic and all the weird remnants of the Empire. I don't know. I think it's all fascinating. I think this story is crazy and wild as heck. And honestly, I'm even more into it after the announcement last weekend that this is all leading to some outrageous movie in movie theaters that Dave Filoni's directing. We might get a theatrical Star Wars movie that's crazier and more over the top and weirder than Attack of the Clones. <laughs> it's held the record for, for too long. They're, they want to beat it with the uh, the Mandalorian universe movie. Like you were saying, too, like this episode kind of being like Return of the Jedi, kind of of being the, the, the super version, the super Star Wars version of the echoing another one. I, I still think there is a little bit of Revenge of the Sith in there, too. A big thing going on in this episode is kind of like betrayal, changing allegiances and who can you trust and kind of the rise of the Empire and death being a, hap- a major thing in this episode. I don't know, it, it is kind of sithy. Well, and it's also, you know, the the reveal that Gideon has been the Phantom Menace all along this season, pulling the strings, that he's behind the pirates and he's behind all of this stuff. And the New Republic either didn't know he was gone or the New Republic, someone in the New Republic is in on it. or And also the the fact that it seems like even with the uh, the Imperial people that Gideon may or may not even care about them other than he wants, wants stuff from them. Like it seems like he wants he wants more than just being part of this new empire as well because he's making his own super soldiers. He wants to rule the galaxy with just him and, and Grogu. Join me, Grogu. Yeah. Your new empire. Make things the way we want them to be. That's what Gideon's doing. So there's there's so much to talk about once we start getting into it. But let's before we start breaking it all down, let's get into 
one of the big things that people were coming out of this episode that I think is very intentional, the title, The Spies. Who are the spies? It's making, it's making my head hurt. Yeah, we got to go to Mando Court. Remove your helmet. Do you respect my station? Remove your helmet. Well, we know one of them, obviously. There's at least one that we can check off the list. No questions asked. Eli Kane is a spy. Yeah, she's a spy. Surprise, surprise, Lando in disguise. She's pretending to be all smiles coming into Tim Meadow's office, which we forgot to mention in that episode that I think Tim Metal, Tim Meadow's character, his name was Tuttle, which was the name of Robert De Niro's character in Brazil. So our Brazil comparisons, comparisons are perhaps spot on. Well, <laughs> but yeah, Eli Kane is a spy. No surprise there. Now, the plural aspect of it, it could be one more. It could be several more. Let's present our next case of evidence, Axwoves. Is Axwoves a spy? I don't think so. I feel like he didn't know he could escape until Big Viz told him where to go. He could have just flew over where the bad guy Stormtrooper Mando guys were and just been like, ha ha ha, I'm a spy. And then he wouldn't have had to run away. See, I hear, I hear that. But also I think it's very convenient that he just took off and he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm going to go get reinforcements. And I'm like, from where? Well, that's true. Cause both ship already left and you can't call anybody on the phone on Mandalore. Hmm. Because, like, they were looking for settlers. They found the Mad Max Mando boat. That's, like, settlers. There's probably more out there. But, like, you're just axe wolves. Where are you going to go? Like, we found out, like, their their jetpacks don't have unlimited fuel. Like, where are you going to go? What's your plan, axe wolves? And axe wolves has been kind of shady ever since he came into this season. Yeah, that's true, because... It is, once he got into control, they kind of gave up any interest in Mandalore again. Uh, you might be, you might be converting me to the, to the Axe Wolves. The, the, the evidence might be damning for Axe Wolves. Cause at first I was like, well, he's just, you know, he's the other big hero like Big Viz and he just wants to go save everyone. But yeah, when you, when you think about it, unless he's going to go make friends with the monster, which maybe he is, but okay. Axe Wolves, that's a possibility. This one I'm not too sure on, but I saw some chitter-chatter online. The boat mandos, the settlers. Yeah, that was I, my initial thought was, okay, the boat mandos are going are gonna to be the ones to, to turn. Because it's like, how else would they have survived on the surface for so long if they weren't in on it? Man, I go back and forth. They're, they're hiding it good because the I, at first I thought okay they have all these wounded people and they're just pretending to be wounded so that when they get on the ship they'll you know spring into action and and take the ship down but they kind of really looked sick <laughs> like like they look like even if they sprung into action like they don't really have guns and or anything they're just you know they're just like wearing rags so maybe not and also wouldn't the tie fighters and bombers just end up killing them cuz they'd be in the ships so 
I don't know. But the three guys who stayed, the the like the bosses, maybe? Because they knew right where to go and right where to take them. Right. And wouldn't they know if the Empire was building this underground base with like hangars and like there would be a lot of Empire activity going on there. Yeah. And they knew right where that was. Yeah. I mean, if anyone set them up, I mean, they basically took them right to where the trap was. Right. But I kind of don't want them to be because they're cool and they have like scars on their armor from fighting monsters. They have claw marks. Like all of them have claw marks all over their armor. Yeah, they were super endearing. They were immediately loyal to Bo-Katan. They didn't come off as being shady in like their actions or anything, kind of like some of the other suspects, but the, the evidence is kind of damning for them. And also it's kind of like the Empire has to stay hidden underground, but there's these Mandos conveniently going around on the surface, seeing what's out there, seeing who's coming and going from the planet. Because they don't have, they can't use like radar and electronic stuff on the planet. So it's almost like they're lookouts for uh, for Gideon. So our third suspect, and this is a big one. This is this is a loaded, loaded topic. The armorer. She also conveniently took off when the action started getting hot. She was acting real shady this episode. And just, you know, this whole season, we were like, you don't really come around on the armor. I used to not really trust her, think she was, kind of, I thought she, she was up to something. But now I kind of really like her because she had these moments of like tenderness with Grogu and stuff. And we're really kind of like, oh, okay. And look at her. She's like really trusting Bo-Katan. And she's like kind of believing in her. But I'm starting to think that everything that she did with Bo-Katan, and I would love to be proven wrong here because I want to love the armor, but all that stuff with Bo-Katan could have been a trap because it's kind of it's there's there's holes in this theory, but I'm I really now think she's rook cast, <laughs> and what it was was when Gideon came down with the horns on his helmet. The only two people we've seen in the Mandalorian with horns on their helmet, the armor and now Gideon. In Clone Wars, there were the people that were loyal to Maul. And who was loyal to Maul? Rookcast, like to the end. And if she was loyal to Maul, who wanted nothing to uh, nothing else to do but but take down Duchess Satine, then the armorer would kind of, if the armorer is cast, she would kind of have it out for Bo-Katan because it's like the royal family. Yeah, I was really going back and forth today with the armorer because at first it was like, yeah, it, it is maybe it's so obvious we missed it. And yet, like you said, with the horns, you know, she was always trying to convince the children of the watch that Mandalore is uninhabitable. There's no reason to go there. But then on the other hand, she does take good care of the Mandalorians and, and keep them safe. And she's nice to Grogu and makes him armor. And and she's been nice to Bo-Katan. But then, like, you go back to the first season and it's like when the stormtroopers came and killed all the Mandalorians and, and there was just the helmets. Like, she, you know, she killed a couple of them, but they didn't kill her. So maybe that was because she was a spy. But then if she didn't want to be there she could have just not gone on the mission she didn't need to go on the mission 
She was the last one to say she was going. She didn't need to go. But it's almost like she had to go because she's the armorer. Of course she has to go. Like She's like, for a big group of Mandalorians, they're still kind of their go-to person, their leader. Unless she's a spy for Thrawn or one of the spies is someone who's working for Thrawn not just the empire because she messed up the plan with the pirates like she was helping out taking the pirates out and if Gideon was in charge of the pirates because obviously there's still some of his cloning secret experiment stuff probably on Navarro that he wants to get back especially now that Pershing's out of the picture she was all too eager to go help chase the pirates away where i'm kind of like crazy speculating here is that scene when they're on the pirate ship and Bo-Katan kind of lays out the deal she feels guilty that she betrayed Mandalore she fell for Gideon she gave him the dark saber and he betrayed her and then immediately the conversation goes to the armorer about the fact that she was in Death Watch and she's pretty much there was like, were you in Death Watch? And she's just like, well, Death Watch kind of broke into a lot of groups. And I'm like, oh, my God, she was in Death Watch. Oh, my God, she's cast. And I wonder if she has been kind of torn because did she also make a deal with Gideon to protect her people? If her people on the moon of Concordia, if she was just like... You keep my people safe and whatever, like I will be your informant or something, or I'll help you get Bo-Katan or something. And I wonder then if she kind of going up and leaving before the battle happened, if it isn't some, if, if she did kind of betray Mandalore, but now at this moment in this episode, and especially with Bo kind of laying out her heart and telling the real story, if the armor is feeling bad. Yeah. Putting it that way, that kind of makes sense that it was something she did early on to actually, cause she does care about her people and the children of the watch, but also the show is going out of its way. I feel like to make you think it's the armor, which very well could just be an extra layer of just messing with us. Like they're trying to make us think it's the armor. So we don't, catch who it really is because man yeah when they're whenever they show her on the ship uh with the with the wounded people flying back like just the way the the shots are framed with the camera like kind of in the back always looking at the back of her head like it really looks like uh what she's up to no good maybe they're just messing with us because we knew i mean we know big viz is death watch right i mean he's a viz He's a Vizsla. He's got a, and in season one, the the people that rescued Din when he was a kid were all Death Watch. So it's like we've kind of known that they're they have the Death Watch connection all along. Like that's not a surprise. Uh, maybe it's a surprise to the to the other Mandos on the show, but to us watching at home, we kind of know that they have that that background. Well, and it's been so long that it's not like people are still like talking about malls, not like anyone's like mall was a visionary or anything like that. It's it has been so long, but there's still I'm not even what I was going to say there could be there. There is animosity between the armor and Bo-Katan. And it was always kind of like, well, where's that come from? Like, what's the deal with that? And so, you know, we took kind of took it as this season of her kind of being like 
you know, Bo-Katan walks both worlds and Bo-Katan is the one we're going to listen to and Bo-Katan saw the armorer. But maybe that's the deal. Maybe I'm not saying she totally was putting on a show with that. Maybe the armorer at this moment was just like, I was wrong. And that's what we've been talking about all season, like change and kind of changing the way you believe. And it's kind of the big thing in this episode, like when Bo and Mando have that kind of heart to heart talk of kind of like, you know, rules and all this stuff don't matter. It's what you feel in your heart. It's all very Star Wars. And that could be what the armor, a.k.a. Rookcast, <laughs> is going through here of it's a whole theme in this episode, selfishness versus selflessness. Maybe in the past, but armor was being kind of selfish and i would love for the armorer to be like i messed up in the past this is my fault but i'm gonna fix this because she's in a star destroyer or a light cruiser sorry and this light cruiser could end this whole story right now well and the other thing adding to the whole spies thing is the end of was that two episodes ago the pirate episode where Carson Tiva finds Gideon's shuttle and we and we we get the tease of someone rescued him and they had Beskar armor. Now with this episode we know he has Beskar armor. He has Imperial Super Commandos with Beskar armor. So is that the end of that or is there more to it where it is like there's other Mandalorian spies who we don't know that helped out like was it x woves or someone in their group yeah because gideon makes sure to say like beskar alloy in his big grand speech at the end there this episode is so clever where it's kind of created this fascinating little mystery you know i couldn't help thinking of that when the praetorian guards come out where i'm like this this is a big tribute to to ryan johnson we got praetorian guards and we've got a benoit blanc mystery and Who yeah. who sold out who? What's going on? What are the clues? And I love it. I love it because we don't know. And now it's like, like we said, the the season finale next week. It's like, what is going to happen? It's so hardcore. They couldn't even show it to people at Celebration last weekend. We were like, oh, are they going to show them the last two? No, nobody can see the finale early. Nobody. Well, and if anything we should have learned over the years is that the last episode of a Mandalorian book of Boba season takes no prisoners and uh, is never anything other than totally extreme to the max star Star Wars madness. So yeah, I don't know. I'm it's like, it's hard to even try to think about next week. At least we have some days where we can sleep. We have the weekend. Maybe you can sleep in on the weekend. Gather strength. Because right now we're weak. We're weak. We're still recovering from Star Wars Celebration. And then this comes along with Praetorian Guards and trying to figure out who spies are, probe droids on Coruscant, but just crazy stuff. Yeah, and we haven't even talked about the return of IG-11 as IG-12. Oh, my God. Bringing back season one only times 10. <laughs> it's Mando 101. Everything we love about this show. Crazy hijinks. 
grief carga with a bottle of wine from Coruscant. Everything we love. It's it's like a double quarter pounder. It's like, oh, I heard you like a quarter pounder. Well, here, here's a double quarter pounder. It's like a quarter pounder, but there's two of them. King presents Return of the Jedi Glasses. Four new glasses from the Star Wars saga. Filled with the adventures of Luke Skywalker. The Ewoks. Han Solo. And Jabba the Hutt. Buy a medium or large coat. And a different glass is yours each week for a special price. Collect all four. Return of the Jedi Glasses. Now appearing only at Burger King. Let's do what we do. Let's get into the chunky bits. Let's start breaking it down. Yeah, we start out with Elia Kane, and she's on Coruscant, lower levels. Kind of got some Andor vibes. It's got some Blade Runner vibes. And yeah, down comes a probe droid, scans her face, and then Gideon hologram. And uh, yeah, Gideon, I love how he's like, that can't be. Like, And that's interesting that he is shocked that, Din's clan, the children of the watch are teaming up with Bo's clan. Yes. And thank you. That was one of the things when I was rewatching the episode where I was like, wait a second, maybe the people I think are the spies aren't the spies. Cause if they were the spies, then Gideon would know what's going on and he doesn't know what's going on. So if they're spies, they're not very good spies because of our suspects, two of the three suspects would know what happened with Din and Bo and all the Mandalorians getting together and all the business with the pirates. But that's, I started thinking if it is the armor, AKA Rook cast, if she at some point right around the time of the pirate episode had a bit of a change of heart and isn't informing anyone anymore. It's kind of like, I kind of like where this is going with Bo-Katan. I'm into this. I don't want to be grumpy anymore. I can keep my clan safe without the false promises of Moff Gideon. I don't know. So then, yeah, Gideon is just like, okay, I'll I'll deal with all this stuff. So he takes off. Where is he? Nobody knows. He goes through a ridiculously cool hallway of laser force field grids straight out of Phantom Menace. And it's like, hey, do you think Star Wars doors are cool? Well, this episode has 10 of them because this episode is like 10 times more intense than a normal episode. It's the double quarter pounder of doors. Yeah. If this was the first season, he would have went through one or two doors, but this is the third season. So yeah, all the doors, so many doors. And then the super commando jetpack stormtroopers standing guard as well. Well, in these Super Commando Jetpack Stormtroopers too, it's the Rebels Renaissance. Everything is Rebels right now. And like we totally forgot this morning that there was the whole, what is it, in season four of Rebels, right? There was the whole Mandalorian Stormtrooper thing. Yeah, I think they were all, they were, uh, when Gar Saxon was there, Gar Saxon had his like squadron of Beskar armor jetpack 
stormtroopers that I believe they called Imperial Super Commandos. I totally forgot. I we really, really before Ahsoka need to go back with a a full Rebels rewatch. It's all about Rebels. If, if we learned anything this week, it's all about Rebels. 2023 is the year of Rebels. Before Gideon goes to go see all of his buddies, he walks past a series of big tubes and there's like bodies in the tubes. It was so much because it was just like red laser force field doors and then it's like bodies with tubes in them. And it's like, oh, it's too much. It's like, this is too much of what I love. <laughs> the episode hasn't even really started yet. Already freaking out here. That's some Snokes and some tubes or something. I don't know what's going on. Some people are getting, you know, Snoke. Listen, Snoketoberfest isn't for a while yet. We got more. We got a while until Snoketoberfest. We can't be talking about people in tubes. No, not yet. Not, not yet. Not. Just, we just need to, Mandalorian, you need to chill out. So then he goes into this room and, oh, my God, it's the Shadow Council. There's just a bunch of Imperial weirdos. Right. I, I heard you like holograms. Well, here's 10 of them <laughs> <laughs> all at once. You got Pelion straight out of the, the Zon books. Just super. I, where did they find the guy playing Pelion? Because it's literally he walked out of the Empire Strikes Back. Wonderful mustache. And then, yeah, I just about died too when you got Hux's dad. Putting the X in Hux in thought they were we were done with the huxes but never it's dom hall gleason's brother and he is so hux yeah yeah he's huxed up and it would have been enough to just have a hux but we have huxes talking about project necromancer oh my god and they're talking about hux's obsession with the creation of clones and i was just like what are you doing mandalorian why are you doing this to me you know, you know how we feel about Hux. You know, it's got Hux. It's got clones. It's like now the the line in Force Awakens is even cooler when Kylo and Hux are talking about a clone army. It's 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 so crazy. It's so crazy. And I all these crazy Imperial people. I love how they all have like different kind of outfits on. And they're talking about how there's people loyal to the Empire on every planet in the galaxy, and I'm just like, oh. It's like when they had the Council of Huts in Clone Wars, but it's like an Imperial version. I'm just waiting for one of them to have like a big space monocle. Yeah, they should, right? It should be one of the big curly mustache, like twirling it. They're so evil. I love it. Yeah. And I love Gideon kind of coming out 
and being just like, well, perhaps we need new leadership, too. And it's, again, it's like we were talking about last week with Christopher Lloyd and the giant red candy-like button. And it's something going on again in this episode, too. The illusion of control. Everyone wants control. And what does control mean? And people having power over other people with these kind of thin reasons for control because they're just like, where's Thrawn? Where's Poochie? Thrawn's not here. You always say Thrawn's going to heat. Thrawn's always like tardy for the party. Is Thrawn even around? Nobody knows. Like, is he like, where's Ezra? You ask where's Thrawn and there's a million other questions. Yeah. And if Thrawn's not here, why does he get all the toys? Why do you guys, you're, you're hogging all the toys. I need TIE fighters. I need bombers and I need my own personal Praetorian guards. Yeah. When they say that, it's just like, oh, oh. We got ox. We got Praetorian guards. What? What's happening here? What year is this? What's going on? Like we just found out, Daisy Ridley's coming back for another movie. What's happening? A resurgent Mandalore would hamper our efforts. Which is why we need to stamp them out now. Yes. You'll have your reinforcements and your guard. We shall be rid of the Mandalorians once and for all. Long live the Empire! Long live the Empire! So then we cut to the Dave Navarro planet, and you got Grief and his super cool protocol droid hanging out. And yeah, they're like, there's there's an Imperial ship flying overhead, and it's got a big old Mythosaur skull painted on the bottom of this light cruiser. So if we heard you like spaceships, well, here's a bunch of them for you. They're all just flying slowly so you can look at them. And, yeah, there's just something kind of cool about a, a big spaceship with some uh, with a picture painted on the bottom of it. So the Bo flying her ship with Grogu on her lap. That was really cool. And then, yeah, the, the shot for fans of spaceships landing where all of them are all landing at once. Yeah, the big Boba Fett meetup, the big Boba Fett family reunion, where it's helmets on, helmets off. The armor comes out banging her hammer. Doing, doing, doing. <laughs> it's time for the barbecue. She's like, welcome. And then, yeah, Grief brings his course on wine. And then he's got another gift. Yes, IG-12. And out comes, you know, let's be real. It's an IG droid with a Babu Frick drive in it. And this was, you know... There were rumors of something like this coming to the show, but it was one of those ones where it's like, well, probably, maybe that'll happen. I can kind of imagine that, but I couldn't imagine it <laughs> until I saw it. And it never even crossed my mind that the, the little Babu Fricks would be the ones to be driving it. So it's just like it made it even cooler to get the to get the double dose of little tiny creatures driving an IG-11 robot walker power armor suit thing. And bless his show, bless Rick Famuyiwa for the gratuitous shots of making sure we see the little Babu Frick climbing out of the IG droid. <laughs> his little rubber feet. Oh my goodness! Yeah, there was no there was no need for that. It didn't need to be there, but it was. And yeah, bless you, Rick Famuyiwa. And I like them bringing back the 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 bad baby no squeeze. And I was thinking, like, did they film this so long ago before they knew? But they knew people would love bad baby no squeeze. They they know what they're doing over there. 
They know what the John Favreau can come yeah. out in interviews and be like, there is no plan. Look at last weekend. There's a plan. They know what yeah. they're doing. Yeah. Because he couldn't tell you that the plan was all about bad baby, no squeeze. Because <laughs> then it would spoil the surprise. And the other best part, too, is Grogu's already just sitting on the table eating the bowl of M&M's. And then did you notice, like, at the end of the scene, the, the Babu Frick is, like, sitting on the table eating the bowl of M&M's, too? It's like the little creatures just can't get enough of the little bowl of red M&M's. There's the whole comedy gold scene with Grogu inside the IG-12 body and the no, no, yes, yes, no, no. It's so good. They do nice work, I'll give them that, but Grogu is too young to operate heavy machinery. Maybe when he's older... No. What do you mean, no? No. I think he's saying he's old enough to operate it. Yes. Mm-mm. Get him out of there. No. No, at least let him try it out in my office. Yes. No, this is not a good idea. Come on. Hey. Look at that. Yes. Yes, what? Yes. 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 Also, yes. the animation yes. on that, like, if you've ever had a toddler or been around a toddler, when they go in a little no-no tantrum, the way he, like, pushed his arm to, to, to Din and, like, turned his head and, like, walked away while he was saying no and then, like, kind of, like, waddled away. It was like, man... It is. It is like when they first learn how to kind of make choices and start making sure you know that they know how to make choices. It really did remind me of that. And the comedy gold of them going outside on the day of Navarro and Grogu stopping at the fruit stand and just like pounding some raspberries, some space raspberries in his mouth or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I couldn't tell if it was like space fruit or it was this like, like, uh, taco meat or something like I don't, it looks it looks tasty but yeah it's like he's using his powers for for food basically some people use their powers for good some people use their powers for evil and grogu uses his powers for food and he squeezes some juice on a monkey man yeah no yes hey grogu no give it no grogu give it back <laughs> there's a boy here this isn't working for me. <laughs> they could have ended right there. That, that could have been the season finale. Grogu in a robot suit, squirting a monkey man with juice. Let's <laughs> throw up the credits. I'm happy. I'm ready for season four. So then we, yeah, then we get serious and we got Bo's nighttime speech to the Mandalorians and everyone, what they're going to do when they get to Mandalore. And she's looking for volunteers and Koska Reeves. Gets her one and only line so far. I will go. Good for her. Did you notice, I think the thing they were cooking to eat were the, like, batwing dragon things from the first season that that bit grief, and then Grogu had to save him? I, I saw that spinning around. I was wondering what that was, but that makes sense, yeah. I think that's what it was, because I keep wondering, whenever they go back to Navarro, I was like, where are those flying, like, dinosaur bird things? I miss them. There were some people talking about how one of the the random mand the rando mandos 
that they kind of cut to kind of looks like Quirky. <laughs> he kind of does. You see him on the pirate ship later, too. Quirky Crees. It's, it's, it'd be Quirky if they brought in Quirky. It would be. So, yeah, all the Boba Fetts, they're going to go in the armor. It's like, I will go as well. And Bo nods her head to her. And I, I don't know, like the second time I watched it and I was thinking about Rook Cast, I was kind of like, what, what are they doing? But they know, like we said, they know what they're doing. They're messing with us. That's what they're doing. So they all go to Mandalore and they're all talking about how it looks worse and they're going to bring out the settlers. I have to, the first time I watched it, I was like, what are they talking about? I don't even know. Out comes the the Mad Max, the hoverboat thing. You got the Mando settlers. We can't forget, too, that we got a little, for, for the all the spaceship fans, we got a couple sweet little minutes of just a fleet of Imperial ships piloted by Mandos flying through hyperspace and flying in the clouds. And it's it's been a long time since we've seen just like a big fleet of Star Wars ships flying around. You know, and it's always... In any movie ever, like when someone's in a spaceship and they're going down to the surface and there's like heavy rain in the clouds, it's always something bad is down there. Like I think of aliens or Obi-Wan and Attack of the Clones, like you're always going somewhere bad. It's always like a foreboding like thing going down there. So this great scene, yeah, with Bo telling the truth, how she surrendered. She met with Gideon for a ceasefire to save lives. That's how he ended up with the Darksaber and everything. It's so good. After our forces were annihilated in the Night of a Thousand Tears and defeat was imminent, I met with Moff Gideon. The ISB had reached out to me to negotiate a ceasefire in exchange for submitting to the Empire and disarming all remaining cities and Mandalorian lives were to be spared. That is how Moff Gideon came to possess the Darksaber. I didn't trust him, but it was the only chance I had to save our people. Well, then we get Mando basically pledging his loyalty to his queen and just being a, being a sweetheart. We'll rebuild it. Isn't that our history? For thousands of years, we have been on the verge of extinction. And for thousands of years, we have survived. I don't know if I can keep everyone together. There's too much animosity. And this blade is all I have to unify our people. I only know of this weapon what you taught me. To be honest, it means nothing to me or my people, nor does station or bloodline. What means more to me is honor and loyalty and character. These are the reasons I serve you, Lady Kreese. Your song is not yet written. I will serve you until it is. But this whole middle part of the episode, too, with these heart-to-heart talks like we we had the outrageous shadow council in the beginning and at the end there's all the action and in total insanity but i love yeah this middle part where din is saying that he serves her because of her character and again it is classic star wars it is selfishness versus selflessness where 
what Bo did in the past, she was doing it out of her desire to just save more Mandalorians. And she feels bad about it. She feels like she failed. She is centering on her anxieties, right? And along comes Din kind of being just like, listen, I don't care about the Darksaber. I don't care about rules. I'm following you because I think you're cool. And maybe he wanted to kiss her in that moment. That would have been cool. If he took off his helmet and there's Pedro Pascal and they kissed, why not? But they didn't do it, but they might as well have. But it's selflessness in that moment. And it's so Star Wars. Yeah. And it's cool that Din is like, he's kind of just like, a Star Wars dude that like gets caught up in things like he doesn't he's not trying to be the king or trying to be the best like he just wants to be a good person and help out his friends which is cool it's I mean that's Luke Skywalker that's Han Solo that's across the board Star Wars that's like Star Wars 101 right there I love it so you have the, yeah, the wounded Mandos and the armor will take them. I don't know. Then we got the, the fight over a chess game. They were like, the, the wing guard. No, you're just making up the rules. Yeah. yeah. And then they fight. But again, like, it's kind of like what's going on with this weird chess scene in the middle. But it's kind of like what they're saying. Like, they're fighting over made up rules. Like, one Mandalorian clan plays chess one way. The other one plays it the other way. And they're both fighting that these made up things that don't matter are the most important things in the world. Right. And it takes the person who's the least invested in either side to break it up with Grogu, who is, you know, he's the newest Mandalorian. He's a completely different species. He's really only concerned about eating. So he's like, this is ridiculous. No, 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 no. Because he sees the truth. Grogu is bringing peace to the whole situation in his in his IG droid body that he's controlling with like a little joystick. It's so outrageous. Yeah. Well, and it's also kind of the thing where, you know, kids are very honest and see things very clearly sometimes because they don't have a lifetime of accepting nonsense. You know, it's like Yoda with uh, it's the Yoda line, right? Where it's like truly wonderful what the mind of a child is, whatever, whatever he says in Attack of the Clones. That's Grogu. So the armor goes up to the light cruiser. I don't know. Don't know. And then the Mandos make it to the forge, the heart of their civilization. And oh, is that jetpacks we hear off in the distance? No, it's crazy Mandalorian troopers, axe woves, pieces out. We don't see them again. We'll see them again next week. I hope, maybe not. And then, surprise, surprise, Lando in disguise. There's an Imperial base on Mandalore. There's interceptors and everything. They're all separated, they're ambushed. Din is captured. But not before he shoots more flamethrower fire than any Mandalorian ever. He shoots a whole tank and just burns a bunch of dudes. If they want Din Djarin alive, they could have killed him in that moment. They don't. They want him alive. And down comes Super Gideon. Like I said, the music bomb. bomb, bomb, bomb. It was all a trap. I love he has a jetpack and a cape, too. <laughs> like, he figured out how to have both. What I love, suddenly, he is like, Mandalore will live on in me. And he's like, cloners, Jedis, Mandalorians, I'm going to create an army to bring order to the galaxy. And you're like, what? You were a talented people. 
but your time has passed. However, as you can see, Mandalore will live on in me. Thanks to your planet's rich resources, I have created the next generation dark trooper suit, forged from Beskar alloy. And the most impressive improvement is that it has me in it. You see, every society has something to offer. The cloners, the Jedi, and even the Mandalorians. By aggregating the best of each, I will create an army that will bring order to the galaxy. Why don't we take your fleet off the board while we still have the element of surprise? Activate the interceptors and bombers. No! Yeah, because it is almost like we're the show is kind of leading to the sequel trilogy, but I don't think Gideon is... The, the direct path to the sequel trilogy, right? Like he's almost his own thing where Hux is off trying to clone Palpatines and, and the first orders trying to amass, you know, their fleet and all that. But Gideon's got his own ideas and his own thing. And even back to the beginning where Hux was like, I heard you were doing your own stuff with Pershing and making your own clones. Right. So it's almost like, yeah, Gideon's not, he's saying long live the empire, but he, wants to do his own thing. It's like Gideon has his own, yeah, vision for the future of what the what eventually will become the first order is. And it maybe it was kind of a better idea because yeah, like, you know, clone Jedi and Mandalorian armor, that would have been pretty tough army to beat. But it's wild. It's wild as hell. And I was watching the episode this morning and I was like, this is crazy. I'm loving it. It's like we said before, where it's it, it, it's all of Star Wars being played on top of each other. You know, it's it's the sequels, it's the prequels, it's the original trilogy. You got a bunch of Boba Fett's shooting at a guy in Mandalorian dark trooper thing who's like talking about clones and Jedi and stuff and bringing the Empire back. It's just madness. Yeah. Well, and he's surrounded by things from the from the animated shows and talking about things from the books and the comics, like. It's all of it. It's like a old crunchy buffet of Star Wars. You got to fill the soup bowl with chocolate milk. That's what this episode is doing. It's filling that soup bowl with chocolate milk. It's overflowing with chocolate milk. And when you're ready for dessert, you go over to the to the tray full of the weird cheesecake in a little bowl, and there's just a whole bunch of them flying around shooting lasers at you. <laughs> Gonna get that weird, the weird. Give me the weirdest cheesecake you got. With a with a red cherry laser shooting off the top. Next week for the finale, I'm going to call some store and be like, what, what, what's the weirdest cheesecake? The Mandalorian season finale is coming. I need some weird-ass cheesecake. Yes. Some bow. They said, bow, surrender the Darksaber. She's like, no. And she does. She goes full Qui-Gon. She cuts through the wall. She's working it. The Mandos escape. Big Vizsla keeps shooting until his giant gun melts. That's how much he was shooting. And then he throws the melted gun at a guy. (laughs) He gives like the best delivery of this is the way, maybe in the whole history of the show. And then out straight out of The Last Jedi, literally, but with like Boba Fett kind of helmets walk three Praetorian guards still with those cool Last Jedi Praetorian guard weapons and... Praetorian guard style, they get right down to business and they kill 
Big Vizsla, good lord, the last shot, cut Praetorian guards, and Big Vizsla just laying there dead. And on that note, when your mind has just been destroyed, the episode just ends. Boom. Directed by Rick Famuyiwa. Yeah, if you didn't already fall in love with Big Viz this season, they definitely make sure by the end, everyone's sad. Everyone loved Big Viz. I was sad to see him go. But also, I'm thinking, is it convenient to kill Big Viz? Because if we learn some secrets about the armor, which I think we will, Big Viz is the one who is most loyal to her. Yeah. Well, he's the most loyal to everybody, which is kind of the, the secret of Big Viz. Is It's like the speech he gave uh, before the pirate episodes, where it's like, if you're Mandalorian, even if you cheat at chess, I'm going to fight to the death to save you because that's the kind of guy I am, which I guess we're finding out too. It's like Din and Big Viz were a lot more similar than they seemed back in season one when they were fighting over, fighting over nonsense. So now, yeah, we go into the finale next week. I think we're going to see Din with his helmet off. I think we're going to see Pedro Pascal, which is going to be kind of interesting because Din, like this season, is be like, I'm, he's like, I'm never taking my helmet off again. I'm reborn in the living waters and all this stuff. And they're, they're going to take his helmet off. And yeah, where's Axe Woves? Where's the armor? Where exactly are they going to take Din? Like, what are their plans for him? Gideon just, like, took off. It's kind of the, the flip-flop of the of the previous uh, finales. It's like this time Gideon has Din as bait to get Grogu to come back. So what what is an angry Grogu going to do with with power armor and the force and a belly full of raspberries and fruit juice. When you got the armorer up in space and a light cruiser, there's a whole lot of ships up there. People are wondering, is Thrawn going to show up next week? I, I don't, I, they, maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I mean, I don't, I think they're going to save that for Ahsoka, but maybe, you know, maybe something that happens next week will lead right into the Ahsoka show. But it almost seems more like if 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 we were going to get anything with Thrawn, it would be like he would show up in the hologram at the Shadow Council. That that's what we would get because there's too much uh, bad blood between the Mandos and, and Gideon. I feel like for them to to bring in somebody else at this point, when it's almost like Thrawn is the story with Rebels and the you know and Ahsoka and Ezra and that. He kind of belongs in Rebels world, and Ahsoka, the show, is kind of Rebels. You know, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, which is not to say down the road, whatever Gideon's trying to do isn't going to cross paths with Thrawn and and what he's trying to do, and there might be some bad blood there as well. But yeah, it's probably too soon for for Thrawn to show up. But whenever we think the show's not going to be that bold, it usually <laughs> is even more bold. It's like we think, well, Thrawn wouldn't show up, but maybe Snoke is going to show up on a on like a hoverboard or something and just hitting people with a big hammer. It's going to be little baby hucks, like little kid hucks with like a tiny Snoke in a jar. Yeah. Yeah. Boba Fett's going to come in singing Sweet Caroline or something with a hologram of Neil Diamond. Somebody's got to team up to fight the Praetorian Guard, so... I'm guessing, I mean, there's a lot of uh, Last Jedi love. Are we going to get Din and Bo and Grogu team up versus Praetorian guards? And what about the Mythosaur? 
And then, yeah, and then there's still <laughs> there's still a mythosaur just waiting to make its appearance. I love season three of The Mandalorian. I love this story. I think it's freaking wild. It's been getting a bad rap, like I said in the beginning. This episode proves it. This story is insane. It's crazy. I love Mando's style. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, it's it's live action Star Wars comic books come to life. Everything you love about Star Wars mashed into a blender and poured into your eyes. And it's I love every minute of it. It's it's like Star Wars is the the fruit that has a name that I can't remember that Grogu squeezed in the IG-11 suit. And we're the monkey man getting that, that Star Wars fruit juice squeezed into our eyes. Yeah, yeah. Every week for eight weeks, we've just been getting burning hot Star Wars citrus juice right into our eyes. And we love it. We love it. We can't get enough. New Claytu, Skiffguard, Luke Skywalker, and Lando Calrissian, each sold separately from Star Wars Revenge of the Jedi collection. Prepare the planks, Skiffguard. This will be a giant step for Jabba the Hutt. Surprise, surprise! Lando's in disguise! Let's get out of here! Whoa, the plank is falling! Help! Claytu, Skiffguard, Luke Skywalker, and Lando Calrissian, each sold separately from Star Wars Revenge of the Jedi collection. New from Kenner. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. reviews when you get done listening to this episode we'd love it if you'd go over and write something nice about blast points on apple Podcasts. if that's the way you listen to the show if you listen on spotify leave us a five-star review over there over there so more people on either one of those can find blast points when they're looking for star wars podcasts and make sure you check out our website blastpointspodcast.com And you're following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you're a member of the Blast Points Super Chill Group. And if you want to support the show in a different way, you got the Blast Points Army on Patreon, where we did all the episodes for The Bad Batch Season 2. And before too long, we're going to have commentaries for all of these episodes of The Mandalorian Season 3. So we're not done talking about The Mandalorian. And it's not the Patreon, but over on our YouTube channel, just last weekend, we had daily 
live streams with the wonderful Silver from Star Wars Thrifting, where we went over all the news from Star Wars Celebration London and a whole lot more. We had Kelly Knox, Nick Tears talking about the Disney parks, and Tom Spina taking live requests on his guitar. It's total madness. So if you haven't already, head over to our YouTube channel and check out some of the madness from Celebration. That about wraps up number 353, Mando Chapter 23, The Spies. I don't know. The, the Mando Court. Judge Judy is going to be slamming that gavel next week. We might get some, will we get some answers? Who knows? Yeah, it might be Judge Armorer slamming her hammer down. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe it was quirky. That'd be quirky. You know, he looked like a spy with that curly hair. Auntie. He watched it many auntie. Who did the juice? Was it the death the death watch the death watch poison poison the juice? So maybe he would be a spy. I don't remember who poisoned the juice. One day we gotta do a whole episode about the the, the poison juice episode. Cause that's that's like the the one Clone Wars episode we talk about the most. <laughs> I think so. It'll be when we'll go back and watch it and they're like won't even be juice in it. And we'll be like, what were we even talking about? <laughs> People just listening, they're just like, whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No one was poisoned in that episode. What are you talking about? Auntie, Auntie, I still believe in you, Auntie. Okay. So on that note, everyone, tune in next week for the Mandalorian season finale episode. It's going to be a big one. But until then, everyone, thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you.